0: Welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week ending November 10th, 2023. This week, the yin and yang of streaming media companies. I'm Kim Hollis, who is here for all time, always. With me are Tim Bridey, content creator, gamer, and David Zaslov's sworn enemy.
1: Look, I may not have cared about Batgirl but when, when you cancel a movie that I did not know existed until you canceled it, that stars Wiley e. Coyote and, okay, I guess John Cena. You've gone too far, David Zaslav.
2: <laughs> I say he hasn't gone too far enough with the John Cena cancellations. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you laugh, but this movie is apparently good. So that's why it's frustrating. But, you know,
2: So was bad girl. And we've seen the absolute DC trash they've released since then. So no excuses here. I don't know that this isn't like it's DC. This
1: is this is Looney Tunes. You, you can't mess that up, even if you put John Cena in it.
0: Also, David Mumpower, author of Behind the Ride and streaming media analyst who doesn't know what day it is. I need a nap. <laughs> <laughs> and a vacation.
2: And the worst part is we just took a vacation last month. Mm -hmm.
0: And the podcast is produced and edited by Raul Buriel, who wants the feds to know he's definitely not making meth.
3: Sudafed is so good.
0: It was a big week for Hollywood as Disney and Warner Brothers Discovery both delivered their quarterly earnings on Wednesday, followed later that day by news that the studios and the actors had reached an agreement to end the months-long strike. Where should we start? We should start by laughing
2: at David Zaslav, who just learned that chickens do come home to roost because there is a perfect... (laughs) Yeah, there's a prevailing belief they could have ended this deal sooner, but everybody wanted to wait until Zaslav had to do a terrible earnings report first. (laughs) That was one big flip off to him on the way out the door. All right,
3: well, let's do this chronologically as Warner Bros. Discovery reported their earnings on Wednesday morning. They tried to paint a bright picture reporting that their streaming services combined to turn a profit despite losing subscribers and missing Wall Street's estimates on subscriber numbers as well. Overall, though, the company was still losing money, losing $417 million in the third quarter, which was somehow an improvement over the $2.31 billion they lost in the same period the year before. Sure. I'd take losing 417 million over 2.3 billion and although they paid off 2.4 billion in debt this quarter, they still owe more than 45 billion dollars. At that rate, it would take them 11 years to pay off all that debt, and that's only if they maintain the same amount of revenue, which I would venture to say seems very unlikely. Warner Bros. Discovery is spiraling. Later in the week, it was learned that they buried yet another movie for tax write-off purposes. This was a mixed live-action animated movie called Coyote vs. Acme.
0: Starring John Cena.
3: And just to add a little insult to injury, a slew of DC movies will be jumping to Netflix on December 1st. Arguably, this is to help promote the upcoming Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. But one movie notably missing from the list of movies jumping to Netflix is the first Aquaman movie. So this logic is flawed.
2: I don't know that it is. Kim, we saw the trailer for Aquaman 2 last night, didn't we?
0: We did. And it was, I don't know, madcap i think the polite word here would be
2: disappointing Um, (laughs) (laughs) terrible, horrific, not something you want to show footage of. So that might be a feature, not a bug to remind people of Jason Momoa without actually saying, hey, and here's the first film. So you're all caught up because after that, they go, oh, we're not going to go see the second one.
3: Look, while we can ridicule Warner's DC cinematic universe till the cows come home. The fact of the matter is that Netflix is going to use any opportunity they have to embarrass their benefactors and push these movies to the top of the ratings.
2: And what do we call that? role? Netflixing. Exactly. They're going to flex about the fact that they can turn content into hits that Warner Brothers cannot. And that's basically the difference between the two in terms of both popularity and scale.
3: It's clear at this point that the only objective of Warner Brothers Discovery CEO David Zaslov is to amass as much cash on hand as possible because... That's what his bonus is based on, and that, at least, they accomplished, indicating that they had $2.4 billion on hand at the end of the quarter, so Zaslov's gonna get his bonus. Lucky him.
2: Yeah, that's the other thing to keep in mind here. We're talking about the fact that it would take them 11 years to pay down their debt. Well, even that is a special circumstances thing, because the only reason why they are so cash-rich right now is because of the twin strikes, both of which have now ended. But they were able to accumulate profit during that time because they were not doing financial outlays for new content. So this is one of those asterisks that if you put any type of research into it whatsoever, you'll realize that's not a sustainable model. This is the house of cards under a ceiling fan. And then what happened the Wednesday afternoon, David? Yeah, so on Wednesday, Bob Iger legitimately scared me to death when CNBC suddenly reported at like 3.45 that Iger was going to go on their network live at 4 p.m. He had an earnings call at 4.30 p.m. That's a pretty unusual decision, so I briefly freaked out, wondering, you know, what horror he was about to defend. Like, oh, it's fine that we lost more money than you could have possibly imagined. Nope, nope, it wasn't that. He was on there to gloat. He was basically sending a message to investors that they should trust him, and completely ignore Nelson Peltz, who apparently has nothing better to do in his life, so he's planning another attempt to push his way onto Disney's board of directors. Earlier in the week, seemed like a coincidence, but it wasn't, Disney hired a new chief financial officer, Hugh Johnston, who came from PepsiCo, and 2014 through 2016, an activist investor at PepsiCo, someone named Nelson something or another, had tried (laughs) to force PepsiCo to sell or spin off its, and I kid you not, This is a real thing. It's Pepsi products. Yes, that's how much of a lunatic Nelson Peltz is. Anyway, Johnston is the CFO of PepsiCo at the time, helped fend off the billionaire, which makes Iger's hiring of the CFO an absolute masterstroke. Then we have the earnings report itself, and it seems as if Disney had written the whole thing just to cut Peltz and his buddy Isaac Perlmuter at the knees. Iger noted that Disney had unearthed $7.5 in annualized cash savings, thereby increasing free cash flow and somehow titillating David Zasloff, who wasn't even there at the time. Uh, Disney's cash flow at the end of fiscal 22, it was barely a billion dollars. At the end of fiscal 23, and again, this is partially because of the two Hollywood strikes, but still, Disney almost reached $5 billion. It was at $4.9 billion, which is a $3.9 billion increase in 12 months. Part of that's because they did layoffs and other cost-cutting measures, but it worked, and Disney is showing that it is now on the path to financial, I don't know what word we're looking for here, um, investment safety would be, I guess, what I would term. And that's exactly what Wall Street wants to hear, and not coincidentally, when Warner Brothers Discovery reported its earnings, the stock pretty much did a nosedive. It took an 18% shave in a matter of hours, and it actually dropped under $10, and at one point was the lowest the stock had been since January 3rd, 2023. Disney, on the other hand, immediately broke back to $90, which was the first time in almost exactly three months it had reached that level. Closed on Friday at $88 and some change, that stock is now trending upward. I expect it'll have a brief setback because of the Marvels, which we'll discuss in a minute. But the reality is Bob Iger went on the earnings report and CNBC. And he said, I have fixed what's broken. Trust me, I'm going to keep making this better and better. Disney is in good hands. You look at the whole picture of this and like everything that could have went right for Disney straight down to the fact linear networks were all braced for the absolute worst on linear networks. But it turns out that year over year, the exact same operating income of $800 million, which pretty much nobody had expected in a marketplace that is degraded so rapidly, for them to hold serve like this in 12 months is really a remarkable feat. And then, you know, we also have direct-to-consumer, and Roel, you're talking about how Warner Brothers Discovery actually made a slight profit. It was a little over $100 million, but still profitable, which is what Wall Street wants to see. Since Disney stock did so well, you'd think that they'd started making a profit as well. No, that's not the case. They still lost $400 million. But as a reminder, the fourth of last year is when Bob Chappick accidentally slit his own throat. That's when he said, oh, by the way, we lost <coughs> $1.5 billion on direct-to-consumer products. And so that's when everyone went, did, I'm sorry, did you say $1.47 billion? What? Huh? And 20 days later, he was out of a job. That's pretty much what happened. So $400 million in losses this time is a billion dollars of improvement. But despite all that, I still feel like we should point out that what actually ended Bob Chapik's Disney career was that he said we were going to have single digits growth year over year, which would have been an amount in the range of $85 to $90 billion. And Disney ultimately reported revenue of $88.9 billion, which means we just had 12 months of absolute turmoil for absolutely the same thing. For what it's worth,
3: yes, Warner Bros. Discovery did report earnings of over $100 million for their direct-to-consumer or streaming division this last quarter, but I have to call shenanigans on some of that. They lost subscribers, they increased their prices, and the best they could muster was a $100 million in profit. I don't know that they can honestly maintain that, especially with, I would suspect, to be increased Churn. The fact of the matter is that a lot of the stuff that you would expect to find on Max these days is now starting to show up on other streaming services. The value of Max as a streaming service is diminishing, and I don't know how they're going to be able to maintain that streaming service as a viable entity for much longer.
2: I mean, that's absolutely fair. And, you know, just to a larger point, Disney didn't actually provide any insights about some of its stuff. Like, we still don't know the fate of Star India, the linear networks. We don't even know what's going on with ESPN. They showed some charts that showed ESPN had performed extraordinarily well on the whole in 2023. So there's that. I guess Disney's decision-making was excellent. And Zaslav has just been short-sighted. I mean, Mr. Burn-It-All-Down is what we've been jokingly call him. And while Warner Brothers Discovery is technically profitable right now, Ro, you're absolutely correct with all of the caveats. And I mean, it feels like just asterisk after asterisk. They are eliminating future reasons for people to subscribe by indiscriminately canceling and banishing content. It makes you wonder, why are you signing John Cena if you're just going to banish him from existence later? Although I'm all for banishing the existence of John Cena. The difference is Disney's brand is content, and it cares. I mean, the people running Disney take pride in it. Iger adopted a more measured approach. Not coincidentally, Disney didn't do that one giant bump. It's had incremental quarterly improvements with its DTC. Uh, I think it's like $250 million each quarter is what it averages out to be. So they've got 12 months now, I guess technically a little less than 12 months, to actually reach what they promised, which is profitability by the end of fiscal twenty. 24, which is technically about 10 months from now. So they've still got another $400 to get there. But the difference between them and Warner Brothers Discovery is they've built a house with a solid foundation. Warner Brothers Discovery is trying to burn it down for the insurance money. Okay,
3: so we wrapped up Wednesday, late Wednesday night, with the news breaking that the AMPTP and SAG-AFTRA, the Actors Guild, had come to an agreement and that the Actors Strike was ending.
2: Folks, this all happened in the same day. It was like 16 hours.
3: (laughs) Who needs sleep? The uh, The timing of this isn't ideal as Hollywood practically goes into a slumber between Thanksgiving and Christmas, but there are still a few weeks before Thanksgiving, so everything's being kicked into overdrive now in hopes of wrapping up some projects that got suspended
2: due to the strike. I mean, you're not joking. As a matter of fact, Deadpool 3 is apparently going to start filming the Monday after Thanksgiving. I guess that with him going through a divorce, Hugh Jackman must just be sleeping at Ryan Reynolds' house, and the two of them are just going to drive to work together as soon as the holidays are over. I don't I don't know what else to say, but like they were apparently just counting down the moments until they could get in front of a camera again.
3: Another reason why it's important that the strike ends now is the Oscar race. Usually, October and November is when a lot of the campaigning for the Academy Awards heats up and actors have been prohibited from promoting their movies throughout this entire strike. Now that the strike is over, we can expect that over the next month and a half or so through to the end of December, maybe early January, there's going to be double, triple the amount of campaigning that we usually see for movies, the cast, the crew. So get ready for a marketing blitz for upcoming Oscar-nominated projects. Netflix has suffered mightily as they had a couple of different projects, NIAID being one of them recently, that honestly, they probably expected to be Oscar contenders. And because actors could not promote the projects, basically came and went without anybody noticing. That is the consequence of having a strike. This is the studios reaping what they sow.
0: One other thing that you all may not know is that Ariana DeBose actually, like within hours or moments of the strike ending, flew from New York to Los Angeles and went to a screening and Q&A for Wish. So they were on it. The details are still emerging, but the Actors Guild
3: is reporting historic increases in compensation and increased revenue for streaming. The final sticking point was reportedly related to AI usage of an actor's image, which the actors fought against hard and presumably won. But again, we don't have all the details so far, though, it doesn't look like streaming. Compensation will be tied to hits on streaming. The Writers Guild contract, which ended that strike in September, had increased residuals for streaming, but also a bonus for hits. But we immediately noted that there were numerous caveats. First, it would only cover newly produced content. Secondly, it started to emerge that there's a lot fewer hits on streaming than many people believe. The WGA metric was based on shows watched by 20% of a streamer's subscribers. Since a lot of this data is withheld from the public, it's hard to know for sure but it does appear that very few Netflix shows actually hit that threshold. It'll be interesting to learn the details of what the SAG-AFTRA agreement is for streaming residuals and bonuses.
2: Yeah, and the other thing to keep in mind is they did not reach a deal with the actors as soon as the writers' strike ended as we'd expected. And I can't help but wonder if the people who were advising the actors recognized all of the potential flaws with the deal the writers made, and they kind of tightened some of the loopholes, which reinforces another reason why the Producers Guild kind of screwed itself by not going quicker.
3: Producers dragged their feet a number of times, even at the very beginning when the guilds announced their strike and the AMPTP essentially walked away from the table for weeks on end. This was really Hollywood studios shooting themselves in the foot. It was inevitable that after years and years of concessions from the writers and the actors that this was going to be a big deal for both those guilds. They were going to hold out until they got what they needed because fact of the matter is these people could no longer work and make a living in Hollywood. And the studios just put off a resolution until it hurt them more than it hurt their employees.
2: Yeah, I think that we agree on the point that the producers could have made a better deal for themselves if they had headed this off in the past in April or May than by waiting until November. By that point, everybody had become resolute. And because of that, I just think it's emphatic that both the writers and the actors won, which few people would have believed possible at the start of all this.
0: All right, Tim, let's talk about the box office before we move into the ratings.
1: Sure. Well, after a really good October, thanks to Taylor Swift and Five Nights at Freddy's, we roll into November with you know the latest MCU film. So things are gonna go great, right? Oh oh no. Uh oh. The things are things are not going great.
2: Yeah. This one has three female leads, and for whatever reason, that threatens people.
1: Yes, we are talking about the Marvels, which opened yesterday with 21.5 million, uh, 6.6 million of that on Thursday night. It's headed towards the lowest opening weekend of any movie in the MCU. It's gonna come in with maybe about 45 million.
2: Yeah, and we're going back to like the early days of the MCU, back when it was still a Paramount release. So that is covering a lot of territory. Tim, do I have this right? Is this just a terrible conflagration of events where first you have Ant-Man and the Wasp Mania, be a bust. Then you have Secret Invasion be a bust. And then you have the Marvels, which cannot be promoted because there is an actor strike happening. And basically the actor strike doesn't end in time. And then also there's three female leads. So just everything seemed to be completely working against this film, didn't
1: it? Yeah, I'm wondering about the marketing, the actors being able to market it. I, I do wonder how much of an impact that actually has considering what we saw Barbie and Oppenheimer do when they couldn't promote that either, even though that had its own kind of You know, viral marketing on its own. But yeah, this is a combination of a bunch of things just cratering the performance here. It'd be curious to see whether is it really just, you know, the movies aren't as good, things aren't as special, or is it just did COVID really have that much of an impact? Because it just feels like things have not been the same, you know, since we started getting big releases again.
2: It does feel like every time we talk about the box office, this is the conversation we have where past a certain point, we need to accept what the new normal is, what the standard behavior is and at this point what we learned to expect in the 2010s is not at all what's happening in the 2020s and there's just no point in running away from that fact but even acknowledging for that this is a de facto follow up to Guardians of the Galaxy volume 3 but for whatever reason people are viewing it more as the follow up to Quantum Media so they're not getting the bump that Guardians of the Galaxy was good instead people are remembering Quantum Mania was terrible Secret Invasion was terrible I don't trust Marvel anymore. So we can't really say that like this is overall Cineplex behavior in as much as this is specific to Marvel. And they're aware of it. I mean, they just shuffled the deck. We learned that Deadpool is going to come out in July. They're going to completely reshoot a lot. And I mean, if, if what I'm hearing is correct, they're cutting several key pieces of Captain America for Brave New World and they're going to reshoot. They're realizing that they can't just slide by on the Marvel brand and they They need to protect the brand more, which they haven't done enough lately.
1: Yeah, and they do not have a big window for any of that either, if they're still planning on making these release dates for you know first half of 2024. And also, you yeah, you call it a, the direct sequel to, say, Quantumania, but Captain Marvel was 2019. Yes, that was the before times, but this is technically the sequel to that. And that made $426 million domestically, a billion worldwide. And this is, this is a disaster when you compare it, look at the numbers for the Marvels, even just after just one day.
2: I think that's fair. The complexity here is it's actually a direct sequel to three different projects. It's also the direct sequel to WandaVision, and specifically, it is the moment after the end of Ms. Marvel's season finale. So we have so many pieces in play here, but at the end of the day, I I just think that there is a real thing happening where people are telling Marvel, you're going to have to do better, and this is kind of a code red. Now, the other thing I feel like it's paramount to point out, and yes, I am a Disney apologist and a Marvel apologist, so you can disregard my comments if you I get that. We prejudged Elemental too quickly, and that was based on the fact it was the first Pixar film ever to open under $30 million, or at least the first one that, you know, in the modern times, we'll call it. So when that film ran and ran and ran, people were surprised by that. I don't expect that to happen with the Marvels. However, this release date isn't an accident. People picked the release weekend of early November because they expect to keep generating revenue into Thanksgiving, and Disney will obviously have a different title with Wish coming out Thanksgiving weekend as well. But this could do better than what we're thinking right now. I'm not confident that'll happen because the B-Cinema score shows that most of the people who were there on opening weekend weren't thrilled with it. But you never know. I mean, just when you look at this, Tim, just does it just seem like a total disaster that's completely indefensible?
1: I mean, just in terms of box office, I mean, I'm sure the movie is, yeah, B-Cinema score not the best. You do expect at least you know a from something coming from from Marvel, but it does feel like it's uh, it's only a couple weeks away. But will it make it to Thanksgiving? Will it get that holiday bump? And yeah, Disney's going to have Wish, which I think has its own problems, but it's going to be an afterthought by the time we hit the holiday season. It that usually doesn't happen with November releases, but that's when you really see a rise. And this is there's a chance this makes under a hundred million domestically.
2: There absolutely is, and I don't want to deny that. I don't want to get into a Wish side discussion. I'm actually pretty confident in that. Problem. It might not destroy the opening weekend, but I think people are going to love that. But the interesting metrics about the Marvels are that it is currently fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Its score has actually gone up rather than down, which tells me that the people who aren't the normal rush to see it types, as they started watching it, they were like braced for the worst and then they liked it more. So 62% fresh, and it does have an audience score of 86%, which if you remember, Marvel has had that issue with She-Hulk, with Ms. Marvel, where people were review bombing the audience score. Mm. So it is a more authentic score now And 86, while not great by Marvel standards, is great for pretty much any other project. So I don't know what to think here. I think this is a very nuanced discussion, and it's probably not one we'll resolve for another couple of weeks.
1: Yeah, we definitely need more than a single day's of birth of box office, but it's... It just doesn't look good from here. It will take quite a bit for it to turn around what the narrative appears to be right now.
2: Right. And the other thing we should mention is if we take out Thursday sneaks, it only earned 14.9 million on Friday, which, ooh, I mean, that is a DC Comics number, not a Marvel number. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> All right, Tim, let's go ahead and talk about the ratings then.
1: Okay. We have the Nielsen streaming ratings for Monday, October 9th to Sunday, October 15th, 2023. Um we have some interesting numbers here at least let's let's call it that uh we do have a new show at the top of originals and that is the fall of the house of usher uh 1.2 billion minutes for eight episodes so coming right out the gate really strong uh this was the latest series from mike flanagan that arrived on netflix on october 12th and he's kind of a brand name for netflix at this point he's come out with multiple series out of all done really well we've definitely seen things like we saw midnight mass midnight club haunting of fly manor all do well and overall basically thinks he's a one hit wonder at this point because nothing has been as good as the haunting of hill house which was his first series for netflix but he's he's got a following at this point and we i'm not surprised by this number at all
0: i will say that raul's dislike of this particular series doesn't match up to what i've seen mm-hmm from other folks. Other people seem to really have enjoyed it. Yeah, generally it's been positively reviewed. I know will mm-hmm. said
1: he he did not care for it. But yeah, generally it's been well it's been well received. Most of his stuff has my planians. We've been doing this long enough now that I remember we talked when this was announced. And now here it is on the rating. So I know <laughs> that's how long we've been doing this. Uh second, after the being with Hopto the last two weeks, Love is Blind, 726 million minutes, first 70 episodes. Of course, it's the finale of season five arriving on Netflix during this week. So not surprised here. Uh, and then hopefully it goes away until the next season, uh, we saw Lupin return last week. It jumps up to third this week, 635 million minutes for 16 episodes. This is the first full week of availability for its third season, which arrived on October 5th. And no surprise here, we saw that do well each of the first two seasons. Loki from Disney Plus is fourth, adds an episode, 588 million minutes. Still really fascinated to see how how this does. I know people were kind of blown away by the, by the finale and just the season in general. I'm excited to see how that holds. Of course, it does apparently go directly into the Marvels
2: too. This is the other complaint I have about the Marvels is they had 150 some days between the season finale of Secret Invasion and the end of 2023. If they had released the Loki season finale on literally any other day of the year, it would have been better than what they did because now the Marvels and Loki cancel each other out because they could have ridden the wave of how spectacular Loki's finale is to generate more positive buzz for the Marvels or make people forget about the Marvels. Either way would have worked, but the strategy of both on the same day, just idiocy. Absolute idiocy, and I don't generally think that of Marvel, but you're absolutely right. Loki is probably going to stay in this range for a while, and then the season finale, people might go back and bench both seasons because they did bookend and just, Kim, it was brilliant,
0: wasn't it? It was just amazing. It was fantastic. And we would be some of those people who have at least watched the finale multiple times and at least some of the other shows in
1: the series as well. Uh, Beckham, we saw arrive last week from Netflix, four episode docuseries on, of course, David Beckham, 490 million minutes. Uh, Returning in six is The Great British Baking Show, 452 million minutes, 88 episodes. When we've seen this arrive, it's because it airs in the UK at first and then shows up on Netflix a week or two later. And this latest season began on September 26th. So, yeah, not surprised. I'm sure we'll see it hang around uh, for the next month or two as it adds episodes every week. Virgin River has been here for a while, 418 million minutes, 52 episodes. Uh, But something new in eighth, Pact of Silence, 297 million minutes for 18 episodes. Uh, We did not talk about this. This is a Netflix original telenovela type series series. I will just go ahead and read their description because we didn't talk about it. This is what we would have had had we included it on What's New for that week. Brenda is a successful influencer, but that wasn't always the case. When her biological mother abandoned her at birth, she had to grow up fast and fend for herself on the mean streets of the city. Now she's on a mission to find out who left her for dead. What she knows, the headmistress of the school where her bio mom went to once helped a group of teens get rid of a baby, so Brenda's tracking them down one by one to exact her revenge. So based on that description, I'm actually not surprised. What? She was abandoned at birth, and now she's looking for revenge
2: on the headmistress or her mother or both
1: yes <laughs> uh it apparently was buzzy enough that it got 297 million minutes for its episodes and we may see it again because apparently this is this has a little bit of uh, a little bit of buzz this actually arrived on the uh 11th so yeah this is most of, most of the week, but I, I wouldn't be surprised to see it again next week. By the way, week after their finales, we lost both Ahsoka and Only Murders in the Building. They all immediately tumbled off the off the charts this week.
2: Yeah, I noticed that. There wasn't the general post-viewing binge that we mm-hmm. got in the past.
1: Yeah, I find that very curious for both those shows, actually. Uh, ninth from Prime Video, Gen V, also adding episodes weekly, five episodes, 290 million minutes. Uh, Wheel of Time also not here this week, so that, that has fallen off even though i've heard better things about its season two and that hasn't quite finished yet so maybe we'll see it again and then wrapping up originals with sex education another show that's hung around for a couple weeks now 289 million minutes for 32 total episodes movies is still led by haunted mansion 656 million minutes so yeah fine doesn't really make up for how badly it performed at the box office because we still don't know why it was released in the middle of the summer
2: yeah i'll go ahead and give a post halloween update I have not seen it in trending any in November, which means that as soon as the holidays ended, it lost all its heat. But it might sustain like this for another couple of weeks until Halloween.
1: Yeah, I'd actually expect that, which is why they probably should have put it in theaters at the beginning of the month. New in second from Prime Video, The Burial, 637 million minutes. I remembered that we, we talked about this. This is a movie starring Jamie Foxx and Tommy Lee Jones, based on a true story.
0: Yes, and David's mother watched it and said it was wonderful.
1: Ninety-one <laughs> percent uh, fresh, or Rotten Tomatoes. So, sure, I'll have to check in with my parents to see if they if they saw it.
2: And a hundred percent fresh among ninety-year-olds that I know. So there you
1: go. <laughs> uh, Disney's Elemental is third, still holding very well, 540 million minutes. So yeah, this one I'm convinced now is in it for the long haul. It will stick around for probably quite a while and just gradually slide down the chart and, and maybe be one of those movies where it just, you know, the, I guess the musicals do have the advantage, but, you know, it'll, it'll poke its head in the in, mm-hmm. you know, the, the bottom ha- uh, half now and then.
2: I think that we're at most two weeks away from it in Haunted Mansion flipping positions and it possibly could happen next time because there's really not a lot of gap already.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, Reptile from Netflix is fourth. That's been here for a couple of weeks now. Also still doing very well. 519 million minutes. Uh, Fifth, 442 million minutes for American Made. Yeah, that is the Tom Tom Cruise Cruise movie movie? from 2017. Yes, that I forgot existed until it landed back on this chart. Wow. Uh, Yeah, of course, it's no surprise as to why, because it came back to Netflix... For some reason, not on October first, but in in the middle of the month on on the sixth.
2: Great movie. It finished in my top five for the year. So there's that. Yeah,
1: it was a good movie. I liked it. And not the only uh Return we will we will see on this list. Uh, six was Casper. We saw that last week. Uh, yeah, this one this one did come back to Netflix. Yes, this this is the '90s movie. Three hundred twenty-eight million minutes and six. Uh, yes, it came back to Netflix October first. I'll kind of give it a pass because it is does kind of fit the theme for October uh, seventh. Ma, two hundred ninety-seven million minutes. This is the horror thriller starring Octavia Spencer from twenty
2: nineteen. Oh my goodness, seriously!
1: And I, was, I, and I was excited. I was like, wow, hey, this is something different for Halloween. People are just checking horror movies, but it actually came back to Netflix on the sixth, so it just. It was considered new content, and that's why people watched it. Eighth is The Nightmare Before Christmas from Disney Plus. I expected it to creep up a little higher uh, this week, but there's still a couple weeks left before Halloween. Two hundred eighty million minutes in eighth.
2: Yeah, honestly, the surprise for me is we still haven't seen Hocus Pocus Hocus or Pocus. Hocus Pocus Two yet.
1: Yes, still time, but yeah, it is. It is interesting that that they haven't poked back onto the the chart yet. Ninth from Netflix, Nowhere, that's been here for a couple weeks now, 226 million minutes. And we wrap up movies with Fair Play, which we saw last week, 216 million minutes. Yeah, that arrived on the 6th, so yeah, it was here last week with just the three-day number, but then I hung on for the for the full week. Acquired is nine shows we have seen before. Still led by Suits, 1.1 billion minutes, but its, it's clock is ticking. Uh, the new show we have in seventh is Goosebumps, 553 million minutes for five episodes.
2: And the question it's- I've got for you, Tim, is why acquired instead why is this of acquired? original yes why is this this is this is as i'm as i said that out loud makes said, no why sense is, why is this acquired yeah so i, I, I heard wonder... about this the other night and i just looked at that screen for like three minutes trying to come up with a logical reason this was always a disney hulu initiative why would it be acquired
1: yeah i don't know i think they messed up and i think they may pro- may have meant to include it under originals or maybe they thought it was no there was a movie but not a series this is the first time there's, there's been a series i think there was a series in the 90s wasn't there not possibly That. That's when the books had their heyday. But yeah, I remember the movie. But yeah, this is a new series from Disney Plus and Hulu that Nielsen has for some reason decided to count as acquired, and I think they messed up. But that number would still be good enough to land it in the middle of the originals chart. So that's quite good, actually.
2: But yeah, there was a Goosebumps series in 1995, and I wonder if this is just Nielsen confusing the two.
1: (laughs) Quite possibly, even though they did put 2023 on it,
2: on their chart. Oh, good Lord. This makes no sense. All right.
1: Yeah, and we do have the return of The Simpsons in intent 447 million minutes for 667 episodes. As David mentioned last week, people always flock to the Treehouse of Horror episodes this time every year. So I'm not surprised by this and might see it jump up a couple spots over the next couple weeks during the month.
2: Hang Kodos forever. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's all I have for ratings this week. Not too much. I'm very happy with how Elemental is doing. I'm waiting to see Nightmare for Christmas and Hocus Pocus. And there's something probably very obvious coming soon that will take over on the original chart. But I can't think of it off the top of my head.
0: All right. Thank you, Tim. And this week on green lights and cancellations, fans of the Peanuts movie will be thrilled to hear that Apple has greenlit a new feature film with Charlie Brown and Snoopy going to the big city. Yes, I am thrilled.
2: Yes, and just to be clear, if you've got Disney Plus right now, you can watch the Peanuts movie, and I swear to you, it is legitimately one of the best films of the past 15 years, and it's good for an audience member from the age of two to the age of 102.
0: Apple TV Plus has also picked up a documentary series on the murder of John Lennon, narrated by Kiefer Sutherland. Did we really need this? No. No. And at Hulu, the worst kept secret in streaming has been revealed as The Bear has been renewed for a third season.
2: Here's really all you need to know about this. This is a Disney production, Everything Hulu Is. All of the cast members who you know from The Bear are rumored for Pixar, Marvel, and Star Wars projects moving forward. That speaks volumes about how thrilled everyone is with this entire cast of people. And we cannot say it enough. If you're not watching The Bear, it is a lot and it is stressful, but it is marvelous storytelling.
0: As always, we close out with what's been keeping us busy this last week, and I have actually watched a lot of things. The Trillion Game finale was fantastic, and I'm going to take this moment to again say watch Trillion Game. The Loki finale, as we discussed earlier, was awesome. So go watch Loki season two if you haven't already, and season one and two if you haven't seen both seasons. We also saw The Marvels, which... I thought was frivolous fun. I really like the three leads together. There's not like a super complicated or maybe even cohesive plot, but they're having a blast and it's a lot of fun as a result. And I have finished off Schitt's Creek and... My goodness, that is a delightful show. Everybody on it becomes different because of their time in that place. And the romance between David and Patrick is just delightful. Schitt's Creek is airing on both Hulu and Amazon Freebie. So you can watch it for free. Or if you have Hulu, you can watch it there too. Highly recommended. Everything I watched this week is definitely recommendable. Just know that the Marvels is slight. Uh, Raul, how about you?
3: I watched season two of 100 Foot Wave this week. I'm strangely drawn to this documentary series on Max. I'm definitely not a surfer. Heck, I hate the beach. I think a lot of the appeal of this series has to do with the incredible atmospheric music from Philip Glass. And the cinematography is stunning. Season one told a years-long story about famed big wave surfer Garrett McNamara and his discovery of the big wave Mecca at Nazaré in Portugal slowly the season looped in additional surfers and introduced us to the community of big wave surfing but season one ended anticlimactically as COVID ended the quest for the mythical hundred-foot wave season two takes us back to Nazaré as the world begins to emerge from the pandemic Garrett McNamara remains at the center of the narrative but now a whole slate of additional surfers are brought into the series the problem with season two is that it's a compressed timeline taking place over the period of just roughly one year. Season one had a lot of story to tell. Season two needs to dig just to find a story. So we have whole episodes introducing additional surfers, some of which just aren't that interesting. It's a documentary looking for a story. But the music and cinematography isn't any worse than in season one. It's still beautiful to behold. You just wish they spent more time on the surfing and less on what they try to represent as the surfers' personal demons, but are really just everyday challenges. I strongly recommend season one, but season two just really didn't add anything. It's a snoozer.
0: David. How about you? Yeah, so I
2: kind of almost have problems talking about the Marvels in that I realize I'm not the target demographic here. This is a film made by women for women, and I think that's part of the problem it's facing in terms of box office, but it is so much fun and it is so generally well intended. It's just like we've got three actresses who are phenomenal. Let's put them together and form a superhero team, and I remember a friend of the podcast, we'll call him RKD. RKD had a philosophy way back when that was just so far ahead of the game which was that chris evans was the best part fantastic four spider-man was struggling at the time in the wake of spider-man 3 what if we just had a superhero team up of johnny storm and spider-man which would have been perfectly apropos from the comics now that was never going to happen because sony owned different rights than fox did it was going to be too big of a mess but that idea was money this was almost 20 years later the implementation of that idea let's just throw three people together together and let's make it random like it's not like it's a planned thing by any stretch it just happens to them and so they're stuck with each other how does those relationships develop from there and if you overlook the flaws of the film of which there are several it's an edited mess I mean you can tell that there's a lot in the editing bay that was completely destroyed the villain in the film might be in it less than the Flurkin. I'm saying that half jokingly but only half jokingly but just the three leads are magic together and if they announce the Marvel's Two tomorrow, I'd be ready to buy a ticket because I want to see more of them as a team. It's as simple as that. And then with Loki, I'm scared to say anything for fear of spoilers, but Kim, they found the finish line for that in a way we really haven't seen with any other Marvel title, didn't they?
0: They did, and it was perfect for the character and the show. Thank you for listening to Streaming Into the Void. Please consider subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and we welcome your feedback. Remember that we're on social media at Streaming Void and online at StreamingVoid.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider becoming a supporter on Patreon at Patreon.com slash Streaming Void. Be sure to watch for us again next week.